This is The Guardian. Today, the Supreme Court has ruled on Scotland's future. Where does it leave the independence movement? It was a tense and long-awaited moment. But the result was unanimous. Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, had gambled on the Supreme Court, allowing Scotland to hold another vote on whether it should go independent. But on Tuesday, the Supreme Court judgment was unequivocal. Holyrood did not have the legal right to act without the approval of Westminster. Sturgeon was disappointed that this judgment raises profound and deeply uncomfortable questions about the basis and the future of the United Kingdom. Until now, it has been understood and accepted by opponents of independence as well as by its supporters that the UK is a voluntary partnership of nations. But she wasn't defeated. For we should be in no doubt, as of today, democracy is what is at stake. This is no longer just about whether or not Scotland becomes independent, vital though that decision is. It is now more fundamental. It is now about whether or not we even have the basic democratic right to choose our own future. She declared that she would turn the next general election into a substitute for a referendum. For on the single issue of whether Scotland should break away from the United Kingdom, the reaction on the streets of Glasgow was mixed. I think it's a lot of rubbish. I think this SNP are dreaming it's all people who are power crazy and we need the strength of the United Kingdom. Scottish voters were divided. There was talk there should be another referendum if there's material change and I think Brexit has been enough of a material change especially with part of the Better Together campaign was remaining in the European Union. So I think there's been a big enough change that could warrant another one. But the fight isn't over yet. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Iqbal. Today in Focus, will Scotland vote again on the country's independence? Libby Brooks, you're The Guardian's Scotland correspondent and you're not having the quietest day, as we can hear. Can you tell me what just happened? Sure, I can, I can. Well, I'm, I'm speaking to you from the garden lobby in the Scottish Parliament, where I've just come from a press conference, a hastily convened press conference with the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, who was responding to the judgment from the Supreme Court earlier this morning. The Supreme Court, led by Lord Reid, said that the Scottish Parliament cannot legislate to hold a second independence referendum without the approval of the UK government. Nicola Sturgeon asked her Lord Advocate, uh, Dorothy Bain, KC, who is Scotland's highest law officer, to refer this question to the Supreme Court in, in the summertime. This is after four consecutive Conservative Prime Ministers have said no Sturgeon's repeated requests and what we found out this morning was that as far as the justices at the Supreme Court are concerned the Scottish Parliament does does not have the powers to hold that referendum without the UK government's consent. 
Libby, the Supreme Court wasn't ruling on whether Scotland should have a referendum. So what was it deciding and why? That's right, Nassim. Um, Under the Scotland Act 1998, which set up the Scottish Parliament, certain matters are reserved to the Westminster Parliament. And that includes uh, defence, for example, and also constitutional matters. Now, the Scottish government was arguing that if they were to hold a referendum on independence, it would purely be advisory. And, and so holding a referendum was, in fact, within the Scottish government's powers. But the Supreme Court justices disagreed with that. They said that it was very obvious that a referendum on independence would have a huge impact on constitutional matters, on, on the union Libby, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, held a press conference almost immediately after the ruling was announced. You were in the room. What was the mood like? I mean, certainly there there was a great deal of anticipation to to see how Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP were going to respond to this. First of all, while I am obviously very disappointed by it, I do respect and accept the judgment of the court. Um, and, and I think what I would say is that, you know, if you had at, at the beginning of that day, you had that, that one question before the Supreme Court settled sort of pretty unequivocally. But actually, what Sturgeon said at her press conference ended up sort of opening up a whole new tranche of, of questions that, that we don't have answers to. The court was not asked to decide if there is a democratic mandate for a referendum. The mandate and the parliamentary majority for a referendum is quite simply undeniable. Nor was the court asked if Scotland... She really emphasised what what she described as the unsustainable democratic deficit that that was sort of brought out by the Supreme Court's judgment, you know, arguing that the Scottish government had a mandate, a parliamentary majority to have an independence referendum um, and that that was sort of simply undeniable. And yet the UK government, as far as she's concerned, continues to, to block that. She then said that she was left with no option but to put the question of independence to the Scottish electorate at the next general election. We must and we will find another democratic lawful and constitutional means by which the Scottish people can express their will. She describes this as a de facto referendum. She continually emphasised the fact that a proper referendum, as as was held in 2014, was was absolutely her preferred option. So while it is, uh, I think, a statement of the obvious that this is not the outcome I hoped for, it does give us clarity. And having that clarity sooner rather than later allows us now to plan a way forward, however imperfect that might be. But this denial of of Scottish democracy, as she characterised it, could not be allowed to stand and therefore the question had to be put to Scottish voters as soon as possible. And as far as she's concerned, that should happen at the next general election. Now, this raises, as I said, a whole range of, of practical questions. You know, what, what question would, would the SNP actually put to voters? Is it, you know, sort of possible, reasonable, legit, legitimate to have 
a general election on a on a single issue? Uh, what would other parties, opposition parties, have to say about it? What would um, a win look like? She's previously suggested that that might be over fifty percent of votes from pro independence party. She she wouldn't be drawn on this today, and she said that uh, the detail would be worked out by a special SNP conference, which would be convened in the new year. Well, Libby, for the British government, the question of Scottish independence seemed settled in 2014 when 55% of Scotland voted against it in a referendum. But it is an issue that's never really gone away. But why has it gained so much momentum now? Nicola Sturgeon has has made this this question around the denial of Scottish democracy really sort of key to her argument for why she wants to hold a second referendum. And and I think that that is something that um, UK opposition parties find very hard to to answer because it it is the case that the SNP government has won sort of successive elections both at the UK level and at Holyrood on a platform that that foregrounded holding another referendum. It is the case that the Scottish voters are sort of split fifty fifty on the question. But I think, you know, some of the questions that Sturgeon is putting are, are very difficult to answer. And has the case for independence and who supports it changed since the 2014 referendum? I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I mean, the, the context around independence has, has changed markedly, not least because of Brexit. But beyond that, I think it's, I think it's really difficult to overestimate the impact of successive Tory governments on the way that Scots feel about the union. Uh, I think particularly Boris Johnson's administration, not not just the, the scandals of, of Partygate, but also the the way that um, that Johnson handled the the whole pandemic, his very sort of bombastic sometimes even jokey style, contrasted so significantly with Sturgeon, who spoke to the nation uh, at press conferences on a daily basis, talked to the public and said that she was going to treat them like adults and give them the information that they needed to to sort of help make decisions for themselves. And who I think was just seen to be a more humane and sometimes cautious, but um, but I think so most people felt legitimately so leader through through that pandemic, uh, and I think that also gave Scots a, a flavour of what their country going it alone might might look like on a more permanent basis. Libby, why was Brexit such a turning point? I think Brexit was a turning point for a number of reasons. Let's not forget that during the 2014 referendum, one of the arguments made on the unionist side was that in order to, to stay within the EU and um, maintain sort of international standing, it was best for Scotland to remain within the UK. And obviously that was completely turned on its head two years later. And I think 
Brexit also changed the, the complexion of voters in Scotland who would consider independence as, as an option. Uh, what, what we saw was that there was a sort of move across from people who had voted no in 2014, but then who had voted remain in 2016. And, and that tranche of voters, many of them sort of have ended up considering independence as an option subsequently. And what arguments are now being made by those wanting to stay with the United Kingdom to keep Scotland as part of that union? I think this is another issue that the, 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 the UK government really, really wrestles with, is that there hasn't been any great consistency of, of approach in putting the case for, for the union. And certainly that's a, a charge that can be levelled at the Labour government as well. Certainly, it is the case that, that in the last year, Scottish Labour has uh, seen a, a new leader, Anna Sarwar, who has been polling far, far better, both personally and, and as far as his, his party is concerned. In fact, it was interesting that uh, most recent polling suggests that it's Scottish Labour that has reaped the benefits of the chaos at Westminster over the last few months rather than the SNP. In fact... Anna Sarwar just walked past me as I was talking about him and uh, I couldn't see if his ears were burning or not. (laughs) Coming up, how is Westminster pushing back against the relentless pressure from Nicola Sturgeon? Libby, you've managed to find a quieter space. So let's go back a moment to the 2014 referendum on Scottish independence. Now, that was bitterly fought and divisive. And I wonder if from your reporting, you find that there is a public appetite for going through all of that again. So I'm, I'm speaking to you now from the Scottish Parliament where I don't know if you can hear, but there's the, the scuttle of bagpipes outside as pro-independence campaigners meet to rally after the Supreme Court judgment this morning. There are apparently going to be, I think, up to 15 rallies across Scotland this evening. And activists have been saying to to me how important it is to, to show visibility and show that there is appetite for another referendum for independence, despite the knockback that, that they got from the Supreme Court. Having said that, though, obviously the the sorts of people who attend rallies in the rain are not necessarily representative of the majority of voters. You know, it does seem from opinion polling that that Scotland is sort of fairly evenly split now on the independence question, with some polls just showing a a very, very narrow majority in favour of remaining within the UK. But... When you drill down into that, uh, the appetite for a referendum soon, that appetite is, is much less and kind of around 30% or, or less. Libby, how have Scottish politicians reacted to the Supreme Court's ruling and to Sturgeon's plans? The, the response from opposition parties up here is pretty much as, as you would imagine it to be with both Scottish Labour 
and the Scottish Conservatives saying that this is not the time to be concentrating on constitutional issues, but to be helping people in the sort of day-to-day issues of the cost of living crisis and, and so on. Okay, and what about the Conservative government and the feeling in Westminster? Is the general consensus that this case is now closed? Yes, very much so. There was uh, a nice remark from a Westminster insider saying that uh, Rishi just intends to sit on his hands now when it comes to the, the question of Scottish independence. I think certainly there is a sense coming from, from Downing Street that they welcome the Supreme Court's decision and, and as far as they're concerned, the, the matter is, is closed. But there is, is certainly a sense that uh, the ball is now back in Nicola Sturgeon's court uh, she's the one who has to come up with another route. And as far as this de facto referendum general election plan goes, they simply sort of don't recognise it. And um, I, I should imagine that will, that will remain the case. Well, Nicola Sturgeon did make the pointed choice of quoting former Tory Prime Minister John Major in her speech. I don't often, as all of you know, quote uh, former Tory Prime Ministers, but I will make an exception today. In the words of former Tory Prime Minister John Major, no nation can be held irrevocably in a union against its will. How might the UK government plan to respond to that increasing pressure? Well, it's certainly the case that Nicola Sturgeon has made this argument around the the denial of Scottish democracy, the the key plank of her reasoning for, for why it is essential to hold a second referendum on on independence. But as far as how the UK government matches that, as as I was saying, it it sounds very much like they simply don't intend to to talk about it, but I'm not sure how feasible that is as as a long-term strategy. And I think that that tends to a broader issue that both the Conservatives and Labour have in that they have failed to put a positive case for the union, an alternative case. What about the Labour Party's position? Has Keir Starmer indicated how he will approach the question of Scottish independence at the next election and beyond? Well, Starmer reiterates that he is not up for any negotiation with, with the SNP and we're well aware that that is a necessary electoral tactic for him. But again, I think he is going to have to to go further than that, particularly if he wants to ride the wave of increasing support for for Labour up here. Libby, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says that the Scottish people are more focused on the urgency of the cost of living crisis at the moment and that there are just simply other priorities to be dealing with. Uh, And I think that the people of Scotland want us to be working on fixing the major challenges that we collectively face, whether that's the economy, supporting the NHS or indeed supporting Ukraine. Now is the time for politicians... From your reporting, how true do you think that is? I mean, it's it's certainly the case that uh, Scottish voters have, have plenty more to detain them at the moment than simply the constitutional question. Ask any parent, for example, on Thursday, pretty much every school in Scotland is going to close its doors because of a teacher's strike. You'll be familiar with the planned industrial action across the NHS and rail services too. The Scottish government is is struggling 
hugely with the impact of inflation and the Conservatives' disastrous mini-budget. That said, there, there is definitely an appetite for doing things differently from a large tranche of, of the Scottish population. Although, whether that's any different from uh, plenty of places in, in England and in Wales to uh, doing things differently from how they're currently being conducted at, at Westminster, it is a constant complaint from opposition parties that every issue in Scotland is played through the lens of the constitution. But, you know, that is happening for, for a good reason when you have 50% of people in, in a country wanting to break away. Nicola Sturgeon is Scotland's longest-serving First Minister, and critics say she has repeatedly promised her supporters a referendum, which she simply cannot realistically deliver. What does this ruling mean for her future? I think the more the more interesting question is is whether Sturgeon's heart is is really in this de facto referendum plan. You know, she said uh, a number of times at her press conference that that's you know it was absolutely not her preferred option. A referendum was. She has always made so much of the fact that the 2014 vote was, as far as she was concerned, a, a gold standard in terms of legality and legitimacy. And indeed, sort of turning an election into a referendum is, is something that she has dismissed when other people in her party suggested it in, in previous years. And so it is, it is a curious thing that, that she is, is now going down this route and I'm not sure how, how happy she really is doing so. Libby, it's been an exhausting day for you and I'm so grateful you've taken the time to talk to us. But if you were to take away anything from this whole day, what would it be? I think it w- would have to be just just the fact that certainly I, I began today uh, ready to, to get a definitive answer to this uh, constitutional question. But actually, I'm ending the day with yet more questions that uh, I think it's going to take a longer time to uh, get any answers to. Certainly, the UK government's strategy as of a couple of hours ago to uh, sit on their hands and uh, hope that the whole thing is going to go away does not feel like a sustainable one as, again, I sort of listened to the chants and the bagpipes outside the Holyrood Parliament now. Libby, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Libby Brooks. My thanks to her. Do follow Libby's reporting for more on this story at theguardian.com. And one more thing. There is a Today in Focus live event happening next week and tickets are on sale now. Yes, me and Michael Safi will be co-hosting our first live stream show on Wednesday, 30th of November from 8pm to 9.15pm. We'll be joined by Pippa Crera, Emma Graham Harrison and Alex Hearn as we look back at the events that have defined 2022 and try to make some sense of the biggest stories of the year. And that's it for today. This episode is produced by Alex Atak, Sarah Lorniuk, and Elizabeth Cassin. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian. 